Good morning. I've come to return the book I borrowed. Finished already? Oh, I couldn't put it down. Have you got anything new? <laughs> Not since yesterday. That's all right. I'll borrow this one. That one? But you've read it twice. Well, it's my favorite. Borrow places, daring sword fights, magic spells, a prince in disguise. <laughs> If you like it all that much, it's yours. But, sir... I insist. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise and Palindrome Hannah Rogers. How's it going, guys? Good. You want the truth or a lie? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Do I want the truth or a lie? Mm. <laughs> hey, riddle. This is the worst <laughs> summer ever. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hmm. Not, not, not because of personal reasons. It's all about bad entertainment news. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Okay. So thinking back in, in the past when we recorded this show. Okay. No. What happened today? No. Okay. First, Game of Thrones broke everything. Oh, that was weeks ago, months Whatever. ago. I'm still not overreached <laughs> with the evil. Specifically about what I'm upset about. Then Stranger Things did the thing. Then Jane the Virgin had a terrible final season. Then other things happened that also upset me that I can't remember right now. And then finally, and really, I like Stranger Things. Well, I mean, like, no, no, it was very, very good. I was just upset about a certain thing happening. Okay. It's a summer of heartbreak, Mav. <laughs> and then, the worst news of my life, maybe. Spider-Man might not be in the MCU. Maybe it's all worked out by now because now they're reporting that Marvel and Sony might come to a deal. But if not, worst news ever. Okay, so as of when we're recording this, that entire drama has broken in the last two hours from announcing that they were done to that they might not be to, I don't know, just it's the news. <laughs> it's, it's entertainment news. And by the time this episode comes out, it could all be over. Or, you know, you could just, you know, not care about superhero movies because, you know, who cares about those? I don't have a drink tonight. I have, I have a cup of gelato. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to drink. <laughs> I'm gonna be drinking. I should, uh, since we're mentioning it, I just want to point out that you know we haven't done a box office game update in a Ooh. while. And oh, oh, yeah. So Steph's here. I haven't introduced her yet. Well, he I, talks about this like every day, so <laughs> I don't know why I said ooh because I know what's going on. Yeah. Well, so if you guys haven't checked the box office game lately, and no, Hannah, I'm not going to play the Lion King clip, but that did, movie did come out and it did help me. But Wayne is still in the lead with he, he has a current total as of recording of one billion five hundred thirty-one million eight hundred eighty-three dollars eight hundred thirty-three thousand sixty-three dollars. It was like all the luck of the draw cents. that determined yep, this yep. <laughs> completely. Yep. No, but but that's but that said, I still think I can win. <laughs> I'm, sure say I'm not going to win. Um, I did think I was going to have a bit more money because uh, apparently Sony is releasing re-releasing Spider-Man. Go see it. 
Uh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though we're, I'm clearly very upset. Um, but yeah, too many movies for me have either been knocked off the board or Rotten Tomatoes gave them lower scores than they deserve. I'm not saying that they were all good uh. movies, but I maintain Mini Black International is not 20 something percent bad. It's not, not Serenity bad. <laughs> Whoa! Are you saying Serenity is a it's bad movie? It's so bad. It's the most amazing movie I've ever seen. <laughs> well, just for the other scores, Wayne's at one, you know, at one and a half billion. I am at $992,499,343.57. Then Hannah at $776,261,220 and 49 cents. So you're only, you know, you've got basically half of Wayne's total. It is theoretically possible yeah, for you to catch it up. Overperforms. Yeah. Well, you have it, and you have Gemini Man. I think Gemini Man's going to make know. a lot of money. I don't know about actually. Gemini Man. I don't know about Ad Astra, and I don't know. Uh, I maybe. Hey, maybe Mr. Rogers will capture the hearts and minds. Will be the most. Of, yeah. yeah. It'll be the most most successful documentary it's, it's not, in all, documentary. of all time. Yeah, it's sorry, a documentary. Oh, the other oh, one. Tom yeah. Hanks. Oh, this is the Tom Hanks one. Oh, yeah. So maybe it'll make a billion dollars in one. Who knows? And then I think that is. By the way, Katia still. Is on the board at five hundred thirty-one million five hundred fifteen thousand two hundred fifty-two dollars and fifty-five cents. One billion dollars behind Wayne. I, I do, I do <laughs> want to make a, I'm doing it. I want to make a bold prediction right now. I think uh-huh. if anyone has a chance to get a zero percent Rotten Tomatoes on their scorecard, it's you with cats. I'm not saying. <laughs> oh, you picked cats. I took oh. cats. I could, see, and here's here's my thought on cats. Cats is one of the last movies that comes out in the game. It comes out the same day as Star Wars, which is gonna. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's my here's my thought. People might see it because it looks so terrible. It looks terrible, and Taylor Swift's in it. Yeah. And my, my theory is that if it gets a one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, one and we now only get one out of every, every hundred dollars they make. I figure Taylor Swift's fans will make it make two billion dollars at the domestic box no. office. She's, she's not. She's not, not a fan. Big of a draw. I, I'm, I'm really kind of hoping that you make less on that than I did the Tyler Perry movie. Well, if you're, you're not going to make anything off of it. Yeah. Uh, just want you know. Just the one percent. That's all you need. The, the Tyler Perry movie is not the lowest scoring um, movie in the huh. game so far, and in fact, there's several that yeah. are below it. Huh. Um, <laughs> The lowest scoring one is like the kid, um, which is no, the kids at one billion. There, there's something that's made like, you know, literally like five figures. Um, oh, uh, Katia's Under the Silver Lake made forty six thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which Wayne picked, which is like one of the few stinkers you picked, like very few because most of your things are high, has like 13. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that a disco movie? No, it's, it's Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. No, uh, mm-hmm. Remaking Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's our box office game update. I, you know, I have some good, I have Joker left. I have Charlie's Angels left. I have Frozen left. I have Jumanji 2, Star Wars yeah, 9, and Cats. I think I can win. Here's what happened for me. I thought I would play it safe and not pick like Frozen because they hadn't announced like a trailer, but they had a trailer for Armist Foul. And now, now she moved it. I'm so mad because Frozen is going to make a lot of money. No, I hope so. No, it is. It is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So anyway, that's our box office game update. Anyway, (laughs) um, so we had a topic for this week and 
I don't know. Wayne, this was, this was your topic. What's the topic? Well, I, I, I didn't introduce it initially. I just kind of jumped onto it. I just, it's the idea of, uh, how do we describe it in the blog? Reading habits, reading practices. Um, there, we talked somewhat in the, the call for comments about the differences between reading and listening to audiobooks, And is there a difference in that sort of thing? Um, which there is, uh, but also just reading habits, like with everybody that, you know, a piece of it, I definitely want to get to, uh, is, you know, what kind of reading do you do? Is one kind better than another? You know, all that kind of stuff. So basically reading practices. We're, we're a show full of people who read a lot for pleasure as well as for, you know, work and, and Reading's not fun. Yeah, not, not, not anymore. It's a job. It makes me angry. That voice, uh, just, um, just might as well introduce the guest and she's chomping at the bit. One of the two guests. Um, that's my wife, Stephanie, returning to the show. Hey, Steph. Hello. Hey, Steph. How's it going? I asked Steph to come back because Steph, you are a psychologist who studies what for a living? Again, like, okay, this is like more in my ballpark than like other topics related to psychology, but I'm only kind of peripherally like involved in this, but I do know some stuff. <laughs> but, you, but specifically, you study. Say learning, learning, cognitive yeah. psychology, yeah, yeah. yeah. educational, actually, yes. really. So you were, yeah, you, you seem particularly yeah. relevant to this one. It did, yeah, it would appear that way, yes. <laughs> and then I, I also invited back um, Amy, Amy Hall, who is a you know friend of the show and has been on a couple times again before. Hey, Amy. Hello. Hi, Amy. Welcome back. Hi. And you came, and you asked to be here on for some reason. <laughs> Because you guys are so fun. <laughs> Not what you do for a living, is it? But you just like reading a lot. I do. I read. I read a ton. Um, I do have to read things for my job, and I have to then summarize them and rewrite them and turn them into government agencies. <laughs> you turn things into government agencies. <laughs> <laughs> oh no you turn the things you write got it the summaries yeah I got it I was like what that'd be pretty magical yeah I was, like, yeah. I was trying to figure it out I've had some beer <laughs> definitely drink more that's how the show works so anyway back to what Wayne was saying so the topic is about reading and there's a lot that kind of goes on here as to you know everything from what you know what kinds of things do we read I think you were wondering but also the ways in which we absorb information and what counts as reading and before we get too much into the topic i want to do you know sort of a backwards way from how we normally do things i want to go to some of the comments first because we had a comment from terry lee if i can find it yeah who has been on the show huh. terry made a comment that isn't reading always better than just listening or movies or whatever? And he's like, hey, you know, studies show this. And it's a little more complicated than that. It's not always better. It depends on the person. It depends on how old you are. It depends on what you're used to. It depends on a lot of things. And I wanted to start there. And that's kind of why, you know, I asked Steph along. But there's, but I want to start there because it goes into all kinds of stuff, like the science of it, plus what do we even consider a text or what do we consider reading, which is Hannah and I probably use that word professionally in a different way than most people do. So I want to start there. 
Feel free to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess like he's looking at me, so I'll jump in. Um, I, yeah, I didn't really do too much background research on that particular question, but I do know that there's some relationship between age of the comprehender and media. So kids who are just learning to read, they comprehend better from hearing things. And once people have some adequate reading ability, then they actually start comprehending better through text. Comprehender, is that like an actual technical term? Um, I, yeah, I, that was the best word I could come up with in that okay. split second. I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's interesting. I, I, I hadn't heard that, but that's interesting. So you're talking, when you're saying people who are just, I mean, are you talking two-year-olds? Or are you talking 10-year-olds? Probably like in elementary school somewhere, okay. maybe third grade or fourth grade was, was where the crossover starts happening. So where you start going from just listening to recitation of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, to actually... Uh, reading and reading, reading not you know reading fluently like not just sort of sounding out the words but being able to read fluently where your your reading has become automatic and you're not focusing your attention on trying to okay i see yeah because you're talking about like the way the, words. the way a four-year-old or six-year-old reads it uh, about right about, okay. yeah. and they're not really thinking about what it means so much as just trying to get the word to happen yeah that's right okay and then you're saying once you get to be a, I don't know, a real reader, you said comprehender. That means I was just describing people that read. Right. No, but I mean, in, in terms of comprehension, yeah, people start comprehending better through reading after they become fluent readers. So the question that I'd have immediately, and I don't know that you have an answer for this, but that's why we were, we were doing research before the show even is what goes on like what is the difference between how you comprehend when you you being an adult adult in this situation being someone older than third grade mm -hmm. by what you were just arguing someone a fluent reader mm -hmm. um does a fluent reader always understand things better when they're looking at a piece of paper than they do when they're listening to something so just again like these studies are just general overall differences i'm right. sure there are individual differences where some people mm -hmm. are still better understanding um, audio than they are reading. Mm -hmm. But in general, yes, as you become as, if you're an adult and you're a decent reader, then my understanding is this. Yes, you'll be you'll understand better through reading than from listening so, to an audio book or whatnot. So that feeds into a comment Wayne made on the blog. Wayne, you were talking about your difficulty with audiobooks. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting because I've always had this problem. I, I mean, audiobooks or spoken word stuff. Uh, professors who are lecturing to me. Uh, we talked about that on the on the sh the, the show about um, you know, or a couple weeks ago, a week ago, the back to school show. You talked about yeah. your hate hatred of large lecture classes. Yeah, um, well, you know the study. The study always is is that after about twelve minutes, people tune the lecture yeah. out. And, 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 and podcast, you know, and pretty much somewhere along the line, my attention. Except this one, which is awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, the the reference I always use is like turn into a Charlie Brown adult for me. Just you're like 10, 12 minutes in, it becomes wah, wah, wah. And I just stopped paying attention. Um, 
Whereas, you know, books, I, I have almost, you know, limitless capacity to pay attention and, and read unless I'm falling asleep on the couch. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I, I recognize that, that that's my processing thing. Like, I, I'm very visually oriented. I learn better through mm-hmm. imagery. So you do and the work. same thing when you're with audiobooks? You tune out? or uh, yeah, that- yeah, I can't do it. Okay. Just okay. simply can't do it. Uh, I, I just stop listening. It becomes background noise, white noise mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, but even though, like, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree, though. Um, I did, like, have a free Audible trial a couple summers ago and learned to enjoy audiobooks as I, like, went to sleep, which then was bad because I'd have to back up in the morning. Um, but, like, I, you know, I, I had trouble with audiobooks because, you know, it'll take me, like, three hours to read something. And, like, an audiobook, it'll take someone six hours to read it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was impatient but i think we i think we like need to recognize that just because we prefer one thing which i'm not saying anyone is assuming this just because we prefer to like actively read words on a page doesn't mean that something like audiobooks won't suit someone else better um it could be time constraints like you listen to an audiobook in the car or it could be you know it's more difficult for some people to read because of their abilities mm-hmm. um, I, i'll point out that i'm a little different there i I'm not willing to go say that I prefer textbooks or textual books, um, printed books to audiobooks. Uh, I sort of, it depends on my mood and what I'm doing. So there, uh, I have the same problem with, with audiobooks as Hannah, which is I can read most books faster than people speak at the natural reading tone of when I'm telling this story from the, the book. We, we mentioned said, this. Did yeah. we mention this on the previous podcast? So it was like that watching a video. I'd rather read something than, than watch the video describing it. Right. And I wouldn't, I, because I, I almost I, always would rather watch the video. Because I, I feel I'm trapped into their time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, so what I was doing, when, uh, what I was doing when I, when I was in my master's, uh, when I was taking my master's and I had a lot of classes that were based on on literature, on reading, you know, um, old text. I got a, I didn't, when I, was, I didn't need the audible subscription. I got almost all of the, um, any books that are, that are out of, um, that are out of copyright that are public domain end up having audiobooks on a service called LibriVox. Um, and there's an, there's an app on your phone called audiobooks. And I would load up Robinson Crusoe on audiobooks and then go for a four mile run and then just listen to it. And I can pay attention to it perfectly. Um, so, so I can't read while I'm running, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I can totally just listen to a guy reading Robinson Crusoe to me. And I, and in fact, it's slow. Huh. So what I did was um, I pumped it up and I'll listen to it at one and a half speed <laughs> or, or, or double speed. Well, and, and that's fine for me. It's funny, <laughs> funny you mentioned that this week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead uh, that mm-hmm. played Sunday night two nights ago, our time, uh, has a character who is listening to, um, uh, best of times, worst of times, best of times, worst of times. Yes, that one. Yes. Uh, and, and she's listening to it double times. And it was driving me crazy. <laughs> just, just like the, the speed of the talking and processing. Not only did, you know, like that would never turn into Charlie Brown adults for me. No, it's chipmunks. Yeah, but it, it would, it would, it would make me incredibly anxious. <laughs> I had no problem with it. I did that for several books um, yeah. during, during my master's. And, and yeah, and I, I certainly don't mean for this to come across as a judgment thing. I think any way that you, you know, take in this information is good. Whatever works best for you. I had a, a friend point not something that I hadn't thought of. It, some of it is just accessibility. You know, it's um, people who have you know um, 
visual vision problems, have you know, a tough time reading, would, would prefer listening to it, or mm-hmm. people with some you know, reading disabilities. So there's there's an access thing that I hadn't taken into consideration. So it's certainly important for making that available to people who have difficulty reading. Or I, I have family members with both problems. Um, and like, well, my grandmother had cataracts, really, really bad cataracts before she died. But my grandmother has been, you know, her entire life had been an avid reader up until the point where she could barely see. So what we ended up doing was we got her an, um, an iPod. Uh, it, it was just one of the, it was like, I think they were called the shuffle, mm-hmm. the, the iPod. There was, wasn't even a screen um, on it because again, she couldn't see and she wasn't going to learn how to, how to use it anyway, but she would, she would have to go into the doctor for various treatments and everything. So uh, we would, my mom would take her there and okay, here, here it is. What do you want to read today? Toni Morrison's latest book. Uh, and so, you know, here's beloved on the, on your, on your iPod while you're hooked up to, um, you know, whatever chemo machine she was getting or whatever. And she'd just sit there and, you know, she's got to be sitting there for a transfusion for like two hours. Mm-hmm. So why don't we listen to somebody read this book to you? To yeah. you? And she, she read, I think she, I think she read Obama's book that way or listened Aww. to Obama's book. She, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's how you, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you if you like get the standard Oxford World's classic version of Charles Dickens's Little Dorrit, right? It's like 800 pages. Uh, the font is probably like point ten, um, <laughs> and like I realize that like it's it's kind of daunting anyway that it's like eight hundred pages, but uh, they have like a month to read it. It's fine. Uh, we take breaks. I'm not I'm not cruel. I want to assure you, it's a very good book. You, you signed this. You're saying, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the large print edition is twenty five hundred pages. Yeah, I don't. Even, but I don't even think that they have a large print edition. But I always let my students know that they can use like an alternative digital version precisely for that reason among others um Mm -hmm. because you know you can't really like magnify the print in this like tiny little brick but you can on like project gutenberg or another online edition Mm. amy what do you prefer because you're we didn't ask you um I would say generally I prefer physical books, although I do do a lot um, on my Kindle. I've started more recently to get into audiobooks for the longest time. I was very much like Wayne and like I I could not keep my attention on it. Um, And then to go back to the last episode that I was on, I started knitting and Mm -hmm. I can listen to an audiobook and knit. I don't quite have the skills to hold a physical book and not lose the pages and also knit and right. not make a mess of it. <laughs> so, so I do that. Um, but I'm still very much, a, I prefer to read stuff. I, when I'm editing stuff at work, I will print it out and scribble all over it and then type it in to send somebody back an electronic track changes word copy because I want that, that printed physical thing. A, I, I used to do that. And now you bring up an, an interesting thing when you're talking, you, you mentioned Kindle books, for instance. Um, I was, I accepted audiobooks long before I accepted ebooks. I did not, because um, audiobooks, I got into really because I could run at the same time. They were something I could, you know, put on a pair of headphones or as Steph knows, I, I go jogging now. I have Bluetooth sunglasses, which are the best thing ever. <laughs> um, they, they're just sunglasses with little earphones. They're very cool looking as well. I, they protect my eyes and they have little headphones. Yeah. They're, it's, they're not great quality headphones, but it doesn't matter. I'm listening to an audiobook or a podcast and I can go running and I can just listen to, to, um, to whatever book. So I was able to do that for 
first. I hated ebooks for a long time because I didn't feel like I was reading. Um, uh, it, it just I needed the feel of flipping pages. And and then what changed that was going to grad school when I realized all of a sudden, you know, at grad school as an English student, there were dozens of books that I needed at all times. And, you know, or I could carry around this thing that weighs like eight ounces. <laughs> so so I got a Kindle and being able to um, being able to pull up any book that I want and also to annotate right there on the device. And also, and this was the best part, when writing a paper to just be able to search for a piece of text mm-hmm. um, was that was the game changer for me. And I got used to it. So now for pleasure, if I ever get to do that again, like I read comic books as physical comic books, I greatly prefer that to the digital book, except that now I'm working on a dissertation, which has to do with comic books a lot. And it turns out that I don't have an easy way of getting a hold of action comics number 12, you know, so because I don't have a quarter of a million dollars to just go buy it. And, you know, Wayne, do you guys have one at the store? I don't think we, we, don't do. right, we don't right now. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, so I was able to get digital subscriptions to the Marvel library and the DC library. So I read comics that way now too. But if it's a comic that I'm just reading for myself, like, I mean, Wayne, you see me at the store every week. Because yes. I bought, yeah, my new books, I always want to get yeah. that way. So to me, workbooks um, work really well digitally for me, more so than fun books. Yeah, I, I, I will load up my, I have a, an iPad mini instead of a Kindle, but same concept. But if I'm traveling, I'll load books up for, for that rather than pack books into my suitcase. Mm-hmm. I still prefer books over that. And it somehow it changes the experience for me. And once mm-hmm. again, th- this is, this is me and my way of, of taking in information. Uh, I get it. I understand. You know, I have friends who just pretty much converted digitally across the board and read everything that way and, and swear by it. But it changes my interaction with the text some way. I, I can't exactly. I have to say that it. I prefer um, comic books on audio. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, actually, I believe uh, Stan Lee has a new audio project out. Um, so, I was, I was like, how does she? I know what. <laughs> you still don't get what I'm joking. No, about. I do. But it, it, it didn't think it was a joke at first, and I, and I was just like, that's interesting. Tell me more. <laughs> My first thought was, uh, no, no, that is. Sorry, I just wanted to make the point, yeah, that from the the meta-analyses that I read right before the show, because Mav made me do some homework, um, <laughs> there apparently is like a difference in like the type of text that you're reading and whether or not there's an effect, a difference between um, text and um, computer. So any yeah, link in the show notes, but just tell people who wrote it for real quick. But. Oh, um, hang on. I closed my window because I was being distracted by the pop-ups. Uh, let's see. It is by these authors um pablo degato christina vargas and a couple others in educational research review from 2018 so it's pretty recent and that'd be like meta-analysis yeah but yeah anyway i was just it was kind of i was just wondering if there would be uh, a difference for comic books because like from th- this particular meta-analysis found that there were differences more so in favor of the paper version um for more informational type texts so maybe like textbooks science textbooks that kind of thing mm-hmm. whereas there was less of a difference for narrative like stories so i, th- I think with comics some of it depends on how how the information is presented because i've seen apps where you can look at books a panel at a time 
It's awful. And, and, and that's com- love it. awful. Yeah, and it's awful because, you know, I mean, so much of the experience of reading comics is the layout on the page. You know, in that people who do comics well take that in consideration. It's, it's pacing, you know, the, the size of the panel, the shape of the panel, the, all of that stuff helps determine the speed that you read stuff and take information in. And if you're doing that a screen at a time, it completely destroys that idea. I had a student from CMU come in a year or so ago who obviously didn't read comics, but somehow wanted to do a project about them. And he was doing that, that, that one panel at a time, like you know, taking in how long it took people to read. And I started talking to him about pacing and how panel size could change things. And, and you know, like narrow panels, you read more quickly and long panels, you read longer. And, and everything he talked about didn't take any of that into consideration because he had obviously never thought of that before in his life. Scott McCloud's understanding comics also linked in the show notes. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. And, exactly. And like, he'd never heard of understanding comics because I pointed that out to him. And I think I destroyed his entire semester's worth of research. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he walked out, like you could tell, just really frustrated because here's this entire thing that had never crossed his mind that undermined everything he was doing. One of the amazing things that I've noticed happens when you are an academic who studies comics, you'll end up with a lot of academic studies that decide to take on something in comics that doesn't take comics um, theory into account because mm-hmm. they don't realize it's a field. Now, to be fair, there's also a lot of people who do various pop culture analysis um, that don't take the rest of the history of literary analysis into account. And sometimes, you know, a problem's already been solved that you just yeah. aren't, you are just unaware of. And that, that goes both ways. It's one of the points of this show is to try and, you know, marry the two things together, pop culture analysis and classic, you know, academic theory. But that will happen a lot, even in as much as like, you know, Wayne, Wayne you and I have talked about this before. There are well-respected literary theorists who will write a book about comics and get really, really, really basic shit wrong. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it, makes me, it makes me question everything else they do. Everything else that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one, there's a, there was a book that was very, I'm trying to not intentionally not name authors. Cause I right. know Wayne can think of a couple as well, yeah. but there, there was a, there was a book that I read that was talking about, you know, just talking about the character of Batman and they were doing myth theory with Batman, which is something that you can do. Um, you know, you can, you can follow Joseph Campbell's heroic journey and to, you know, and not only is it something you can do, it's something that I do in my dissertation. Um, and they talked about the history of Batman from detective comics, number one to the present. And if you're a comics fan, the second I said that just now you cringed because you know that Batman is not in detective comics, number one or two or three. Up to 26. He's not there. Yeah. Can I just say, uh, I blew my students' minds when I taught Batman the Long Halloween by explaining to them what DC stood for. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah because DC Comics is Detective Comics Comics. Uh, right. <laughs> which uh, was great because we were in a mystery fiction class and someone said to me, why is Batman on your syllabus? And I was like, because he's the world's greatest detective. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because somebody asked, well, how do you know that? How do you know? How do you off the top of your head know that Batman first appeared in Detective Comics number 27? And the answer is, I don't know. I've known that since I was seven. Like yeah. that's, it's just one of those things that a comics geek literally knows. But it's not common knowledge to random academic who decided to revolutionize the world by studying comics 
you know, when they were 60 but, one day. But also, <laughs> like, you could look that up if you don't know it. Um, yeah, that's that's what gets me with that stuff more than anything else. It, the, the problem is they don't know they need to look it up. <laughs> right. I was going to say, so I was just thinking that maybe that's one of the advantages of having paper mm-hmm. versions no, of the no i mean you like matt you keep your comic books in this like long box wow <laughs> it's so, actually called a long box by the way yeah yeah okay. <laughs> I, I know that because i'm married to you okay. but um, <laughs> yeah and you actually one of the things that you actually do organize <laughs> is your comic book so i'm just thinking that that could be like one advantage of having a physical copy is that sort of physical location well, thing that might just, help you like yeah. know things like that. I could also just go to the DC app and say Batman for all chronological appearances. And the first but I one think you're more likely to remember long term if you have physical copies. Well, that's what I was getting at. And that was the other thing with those studies. I think I am more likely to remember long term. So yeah, stuff was stuff was being unfair. I organized lots of things, comics and DVDs. And <laughs> two things. I organized two things. <laughs> Wait, three things. Your um, your yeah, bottle caps, yeah, your my, beer, my, my, beer uh, bottle caps, your bottle caps that are on the on the desk in my studio here. Um, but when um, when I'm like, I don't like digital movies. I mean, I like digital movies. They're fine because I can pull them up. But like, I am a kind of person who um, I own, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand DVDs because a movie comes out and it's a movie. So I must own it because that's how movies work. You know, like it's it's like a law when they put them out, you have to buy them. Right. That's like a thing. Well, OK, maybe not. But it is for me. And I don't want to just like it. It doesn't feel right to me to just buy them that way. I enjoy the movie differently. I also need to watch if I want to enjoy a movie, I watch it on a big screen TV or if I can in a theater. That's how I that's how I prefer to absorb the information. You know, a friend of mine was talking about, oh, I'm watching Netflix. And then uh, it's like texting with her. And then she came back and she answered like an hour later. And she's like, oh, sorry, I was watching TV. And it's like, oh, uh, so you just got distracted by the screen. It's like, no, I didn't see it because she meant she was watching it on her phone. And she'd just been watching Netflix for an hour on her phone. And I'm like, who does that? Apparently lots of people. That's insane to me too. So I don't know how people enjoy things on a little screen like that. I can't. I mean, I understand the movie when it's on a little screen. And I think with comics, for instance, I don't like reading on my iPad because even if I turn off the stupid mode that Wayne was talking about where you only see one panel at a time, which is like a selling point for Marvel. They, they, they're like really proud of it, but I think it ruins it. I want to see the entire thing at once. I want to be able to... I want to be able to flip back and forth. I want to be able to see one page in relation to another page. Mm. There are things, there's a tactile sensation for it. So like part of it's my enjoyment. I don't know if it's really my, my getting something out of it. Yeah. I, it probably ties into comprehension some way. I mean, part of it just, that's the way we learn to read comics. I mean, I run into that. I have a tough time reading web comics where I need to refresh the browser or, or not even just refresh, but go to the next page. Cause that interrupts my reading flow. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, with comics, you, like you can see an entire page on your your iPad, but you can't see the one that follows it. And a lot of times, you, pages are designed to be you know taken in together. You see a larger composition. I'm not even talking about a double page spread so much as you know, these things are paced a certain way for a certain reason. And right, the act of flipping a page is part of the act of, of a comic. Yeah. It's even part of the act of reading, of physically reading. Yeah, right. And that's one of the hypothesis hypotheses for why reading a physical book has advantages over reading 
on-screen text is that your brain can sort of keep tabs on the location of certain information. Say like I mentioned before, I think that, or maybe I didn't, <laughs> but um, the meta-analyses that I mentioned before found differences in informational texts in terms of advantages for, for paper over mm -hmm. um, computer, but they didn't find advantages for narrative text. So it could just be that if you have to make sense of stuff, um, it's easier, maybe it's easier to make sense of narrative text, but for informational text, sometimes you read some concept and then you have to go back to a previous page mm -hmm. to like maybe um, read about a related concept and maybe those that two those two sources of information can help your comprehension. You can't stick your finger in an iPad. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we've evolved. Our brains have evolved to locate things in nature. We even have a specific region of our brain that keeps track of where things are in the environment. So um, <laughs> we have no idea. We, 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 we didn't evolve with computers. We, so. we have no idea how to find that spot in our brain, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's right. That's the ironic part. <laughs> so what you're saying, like I can look at a book that I've read a million times. Um, oh God. Okay. I know, <laughs> I know that if I pick up my copy of Watchmen, I know exactly where fearful symmetry is in that book. Yeah. Um, yeah, not so much that, that not even so much about knowing where, you know, knowing what chapter it's in. I know how, how, how much pages to flip through to where I land on. I know the same thing. Like if you're a big fan of the Bible, you know, that if you split the, if you split the Bible exactly in half, you're going to open up around Psalm 100. I right. just know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From right. And it's much school. more abstract in yeah. computer form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I can search on a computer. Yeah. So this is true. A, there are trade offs. Yeah. One thing that might be fair about it is, like, you know, like they'd say kids today, they don't read, they, you know, they don't watch TV. They watch it on their phone. But if you've always watched TV on your phone, that just sort of makes sense. And maybe if you've always, you know, if you've always read books on a computer, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like the, the only uh, reason I know but evolution doesn't happen at the individual level. Sure. But it I don't think it's evolution. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's just evolution. I'm saying um, maybe you're just used to it. Like if, these, if you have been trained. These, yeah. these kids in their books back in my day, we had scrolls. <laughs> but I, I want to say one thing though, that meta-analysis is really like really a source of like a lot of information. <laughs> but um, one of the findings was that the publications um, have found the advantage of paper over computers to increase with time. So mm -hmm. that kind of goes, that trend goes against. What do you mean by increase? So there's more of an advantage of paper over computers with time. So from more recent, you, more recent findings are you find a bigger advantage of paper over computers. So mm -hmm. uh, that kind of doesn't. Well, but I mean, I, and we should, what we'll probably do is in the show notes, we'll, put, we'll post several studies. But um, one of the ones that I was looking at pointed out that one of the problems with the assumptions that people make is when we say, oh, well, people learn better from reading than they do from uh, from listening, which is the thing we were talking about earlier, or from computer screens, is those studies are almost all based on, they're based on doing studies on college students, because that's where the pool comes from. And that is a very self-selecting group. It is people who have been trained academically to absorb information from text. And so, for instance, when I was in college, I had people tell me that they didn't want me typing on a laptop in class because that meant I wasn't paying attention because studies show that you can't do both at the same time. But in my case, 
I've literally typed everything that I've done since I was seven years old. That's when I learned to type, which is normal now for kids who are in who are seven year olds in like elementary school. Now our, our nieces do that. But that was weird when when I was a kid. So to me, typing is as natural, if not more natural than handwriting stuff. It's an automated process. And so I think that reading with book flipping is an automated process for me. Um, and for me and everybody else, I mean, I don't mean I'm not special. And I think that for, I don't think it's evolution so much as just training. I think that if you are 18 years old today, you are more used to absorbing information from YouTube because you've been doing it your entire, like, I think yeah. at 18 years old today, you have been watching YouTube your entire life in a way mm-hmm. that you and I were already cooked by the time YouTube was around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the reason I was bringing it up because I know um, one of the things that you study in like digital literacy classes, which is you learn things like there was a time when people, you know, we joke, Wayne, you made the joke about the scrolls, but there was a time where people were anti book yeah. because this was, you know, people thought that teaching people to read was a bad idea because it would make you stop remembering stuff. <laughs> like that was an, that was an actual theory. And then even once you accepted reading, new forms of reading were always disparaged. Like, what do you mean they're going to teach novels? That's those are books for women. You know, like that, that was a whole thing. Novels will make you stupid because real, you know, intelligent people read poetry. And a certain amount of that, I think, ties in that whole cultural thing of you know, it, it keeps the lower classes down. We get back to this class theory thing again. You know, I mean, what's the main thing you didn't teach slaves? How to read. Yeah. Because, you know, if people are reading, they're being exposed to ideas and they might start questioning the way things mm-hmm. are. And that's not good. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's something tied in with that as well. I think a lot of those things you just talked about came out of you know, not, not a global conspiracy to keep you know, people down, but in general, yes. Uh, yeah, cultural yeah. conspiracy. To do, yeah, not yeah, cons- yeah. conspiracy. No, no one's conspiring. It's just the natural uh, right. hegemony. Cultural yeah, hegemony. Yeah, is yeah, the thing. You know, so so the, the, the monks, the people who run the church can read, but the, the congregation shouldn't because we don't want you reading the Gospels on your own. Or, you know, and, and yeah, any of that stuff. And I, I think you know, it's not, as a reader, it's something that does frustrate me. People who just really, and, and this is me being arrogant, I suppose. You? I, uh, <laughs> um, you know, there's, I still run into people who just you know, don't value reading, don't, don't, you know, don't see the need for it. People who are you know, arrogantly anti-reading. Uh, you know, we don't run into this you know, quite so much in, in colleges and, and whatever and among you know, the people that we, we typically hang out with because we all read and do this stuff. But I, I hear that all the time. Yeah, I, I remember a woman saying to me years ago, I haven't read a book since I was in high school. And she said it. She's damn proud of it. Um, <laughs> and you know, like this is the first century in recorded history where the ability to read is kind of made available to everybody. And it's something that generations before us would have killed to do to get them out of literal bondage. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's so taken for granted that it's not valued at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's, that's one of those issues that as a reader, uh, you know, I, I have a certain arrogance about, you know, well, how come everybody doesn't do this? Uh, and I know there are lots of reasons and, and I, I recognize that there's, I'm sure a class thing involved there someplace that I'm not taking into consideration. <laughs> but I, I mean, I don't know that there is, like you said, there's no global conspiracy. It's not like no. people are 
are trying to do it. I think it's just something you naturally do. And I do think that anecdotally, you know, the way we, you know, if we have an upbringing towards a certain thing, you know, there, there's always, when, when I was a kid, you used to think that television was going to turn your brains to mush. And, you know, and then after a while, it was playing too many video games. And then before I was born, it was the rock and roll music. And then now it's, you know, being on the internet too much. You know, there's always, there's always a something. But like, on the other hand, yeah, like there, there was a time when people didn't want their kids using the internet at all. Now it's sort of a, we need to limit kids access mm -hmm. to the internet. And um, it's, you know, it's sort of like, I know parents who are like, well, I don't want my kids watching too much television. I don't want my kids on, you know, online too much. I don't want the, I don't want my kids reading too many comic books. Those are, those three things are the only reasons I'm employed today. Literally. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. that's a career, you know, but like, those are, but that's, it, 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 that's kind of what happens. Well, I, 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 I had you know, years past, you know, when I was engaging in this hobby as much as I am comics or whatever, you know, a phrase I would hear from people far more practical than I am is, well, what's that going to make you? Well, it's made me my entire living for the last 30 years of my life. So, <laughs> so that, that worked out. Uh, I want to look at it a different way. Amy, you're the only person with kids, one of whom's been on the show. So, um, I mean, I, I, and you just don't want her to be on this show a whole lot. <laughs> she volunteered her kid as tribute. Not just, not just the internet, but specifically this show. We are not fun <laughs> games. Uh, you don't know that. You just, maybe you're just winning so far. <laughs> Your kid appears to be relatively intelligent and well-rounded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, she seems to be okay. We, we, we like her here. So, um, so, but I mean, like what roles did you have for her as a kid? How, how much screen time did she get? That's like a, that's like the thing that parents are, are concerned with today. Yeah. So, okay. So what should they say? You have two children. It's just the only one of them on the show. I do. Right. Yeah. So she's, she's almost 18 and, and my other daughter is 15. And so like when they were like when they were little, little, I mean, this, this was all pre pre iPhone, pre iPad, you know, yes, I would like plop them down in front of a baby Einstein video so I could like take a shower. Um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't this ubiquitous screen time thing like there is now, um, <laughs> that usually kind of horrifies me. And I'm very glad <laughs> that I didn't have that option available because I probably would have resorted to it, you know, from time to time. Um, so, you know, they, they were exposed to the existence of computers. We had them, um, but it was like the computer, which was in my husband's office and he worked from home half the time. So it was like, you know, it was dad's thing, not necessarily something for them. Um, and then once they got into school, um, there were computers in the classroom and they did things. And I remember there were like math drill apps that they did. And now um, my younger one, she just finished. Well, she's going to be starting her sophomore year of high school. And so last year when she was a freshman, the school actually started a program and gave every single incoming freshman a Chromebook for use for the whole school year. And so now this upcoming year, it'll be her class and the new incoming freshmen. So over four years, I'll have them for everybody so that they can, um, um, you know, use that incorporated in, mm -hmm. in the teaching and, and all that. I mean, everything they do is online now and yeah, they watch YouTube constantly and don't <laughs> read books. And I was like, have you done your summer reading? <laughs> 
All you had to do was read one book of your own choosing. Let me list for you the ancient books I had to read the, the same school summer you're in right now. You can pick anything. Well, and, and that's kind of a, that's one of the things I was wondering. You said, you know, so for instance, you know, you talk about them watching YouTube, but like I wasn't joking. When I was a kid, people were concerned that I was reading too much, you know, because for me, it was like, why aren't you going out and playing? Why are you know, do you, do you really need to be reading yeah. a different another comic book? You know, because then it was like, well, comic books aren't real books. Now, 2019, people are ecstatic when their kids read comic books because it's not YouTube, you know, but. 1977, 19, 1980, when I, when I was young, it was like, oh, he's reading more comic books. You know, that was, you know, that was cause for concern. Not for my mom. My mom could give a shit, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> like, yeah, she did. You know, my, my mom was like, yeah, he's quiet. You know, So can I ask you a question about comic books? Sure. Do you feel like reading a comic book is sort of like, how does it compare to reading just a, I don't know, um, a novel, like uh, one of the standard novels that you have to read as an English major? Do you feel like in terms of like cognitive effort that you put into it, do you feel like, or is it just completely different? Depends on the comic book and, and the novel. Yeah, yeah it depends on the comic yeah. book. Yeah, I, I, think, I think in general, it's a different experience though, because you are exercising yeah. different parts of the brain. Um, so I, I'm sure that there are studies out there right. that I can't quote off the top of my head. And if there, and if there aren't, there should be. Uh, yeah, I, I do think yeah. it's, it's a different process. I, I was going to say how you analyze the stuff, which is like what is a big part of reading for us, I think, especially like for me comparing concepts to novels in the classroom. It, it's just, it's different, but also I wouldn't say it's less work because like mm-hmm. when you're reading, I don't know, Little Dorrit, which is hard <laughs> Um, ish, I guess. I think it's easy, but also I think a lot of other just because of the, just because yeah, of the I, 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 well, no, I, a lot of people find Dickens just very sprawling. Um, but I think he's a good example because, like, you know, he originally published in serial publications and had like interwoven storylines and stuff too. Um, like you know, reading like Charles Dickens, you like mm-hmm. analyze like the text and you look to see what the meaning is in the words and word choice or how he uses free and direct discourse. If you're reading Watchmen, you might not have that many words, mm-hmm. but like certain words are bolded, certain text boxes are blue, uh, like the the you know different panels are different sizes and they're arranged in different ways. Like the the use of shadow in certain panels, like you can like easily like finish reading Watchmen way quicker than you can like finish reading Little Dorrit, even if you're obsessed with Dickens like me. But if you're like spending like time with the text, you can labor on like over Watchmen like over and over and over again just like yeah. you can Little Dorrit. Yeah. Well and it, it's so much of it is the interaction of the words and the imagery. The the image text interplay just adds a different dimension than just reading or just looking at pictures. And, and it, it, I see it as a different discipline. I would say the same thing. Um, one of the things that I think that a lot of times when I've seen studies where people, there's a, there is an aspect of linguistics and of literary studies where people will do things like analyzing frequency of words and how much text. And, you know, obviously even a relatively long text like Watchmen or Mouse, uh, you know, long graphic novels mm-hmm. have far fewer words than Little Dorrit. Like if you're literally just counting number of words, 
Watchmen has fewer of them. Watchmen's only 12 chapters long, especially if you ignore the interspersed um, textual elements, which you shouldn't. Yeah. But um, but even the the primary text of Watchmen, you know, all words that occur are dialogue. You know, there's no there's no description of you know things that happen. So when you're reading a novel, most novels, everything that you absorb into your brain comes from a word literally written on. There's a literal translation of content to thought. In a comic, that's not true. And one of the things that is tricky when you're teaching people to read comics, when you're teaching people academically to read comics, is to teach not only the act of how to absorb the information, but of how to analyze the information as you go. There are things like um, in the world of Watchmen, everyone eats genetically engineered food. It's never said. Hmm. It is important to the story. And if you have labored over the text a, a, a bunch, you come to realize that Ozymandias and Adrian Veidt invented genetically engineered food for everybody in that world to eat. It's never mentioned. You have to look at the pictures in order to find it out. Yeah, there are there are details like that. No one smokes regular cigarettes. They smoke these weird. Well, actually, the comedian smokes regular cigarettes. Everybody else smokes these weird things that are in kind of a crack pipe that is tobacco. That's hard to explain. But like it is a it is a detail, a visual detail. Fearful Symmetry, the chapter that I mentioned earlier, yeah. is a visual palindrome. It is my favorite comic book ever written. So those things are like those are things that are harder. On the other hand, ease of reading text, um, Mrs. Dalloway is an impossible book to read by Virginia Woolf. It's, I hate Virginia Woolf. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, but it's, I mean, but, I tried reading that. I just could not get through it. Right. But there are, there are books like that, that are, that take a lot of work that aren't just about the, about the narrative or, um, um Ulysses. Ulysses. Sure. Oh. I, I was thinking tender buttons by Gertrude Stein. There are lots of books that are, that are work mm -hmm. to read mm -hmm. and there are lots of comics that are work to read. So I, I, so I don't know that it's a, I don't know that it's a clear, as clear a one-to-one -one correlation of no, which is harder or which uh, is but better. Yeah, this takes us to something else, which is like, we've talked a lot about like the act of reading in the sense of like what actively counts as the action of reading and like the objects in which reading takes place. But we haven't talked mm -hmm. a lot about the like relationship between processing words on the page and the analysis of those words. I mean, like we, we've gotten to it a little, uh, but like, you know, I mean, everyone doesn't think about analysis in the theater theoretical way that maybe we do in the classroom, uh, which we can also talk about, but like, I mean, mm -hmm. like, you know, anybody online uh, definitely can like have their theory of like obviously like Jamie and Cersei and Brienne aren't going to end up the same way at the end of George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones series as they did in the TV show in the books because if you like look at these like 10 scenes you'll see like where the creators deviated mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that mm -hmm. um, you know Harry Potter like everyone could put together like the little clues and have theories that Harry was a horcrux by the time book 7 was published but we also have like mm -hmm. different theories of analysis in the scholarly world like uh some people say like we should read symptomatically or suspiciously and see like what the text is not saying uh like mm -hmm. someone named d.a miller uh who wrote this really influential book uh for 19th century victorian studies said the word like the novel and police and said that basically novels were important cultural texts and because of that um they helped populations learn to discipline themselves um so like novels promoted a certain kind of behavior that people would want to like mirror uh but you wouldn't you mm -hmm. know like a novel didn't come out and say 
you know, act this way all the time. You just like learned from the novel itself. This is what the novels did. Like at one point, Oliver Twist, I'm pretty sure it's like, be a good boy or you're, or you're gone. Um, <laughs> you know, some people say, well, no, like you don't have to be suspicious about everything. You can just like read for what's there in the text. And that's literally called service reading. Um, and Sharon Marcus and Stephen Best um, have kind of led the way on that. And, you know, you can actually find things in the text through service reading, I think, uh, that you might not originally pick up. Like Sharon Marcus wrote a book called Between, Between Women, uh, which is also a big 19th century size book because we really want to get into this. That is about like the relationships between women, obviously, but also like about like female marriage and companionship in the Victorian period that a lot of people might not assume was there at all because they rely on stereotypes of the Victorian period. So, you know, there are different ways that people like also like react to the text as they read. And what counts as reading? I was, I was going to want to make sure we mentioned that when we say, you know, Hannah said several times the text, we all, we in literary studies, cultural studies, we, we refer to text in a different way than um, regular people, I guess, do. Mm-hmm. Academically, when we refer to text, we don't just necessarily mean printed books. The reason comic books count, we also count televisions, shows, games. movies, music, uh, video games, games. Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, Katya is not here today, but much of her research is about games, mm-hmm. video games as text objects. Well, and and I, I said the thing, the interaction between image and text in comics, but that's, that's breaking it down. The images are the text of comics, mm-hmm. are part of the text of comics. So um, one of my favorite theorists, Roland Burt, he has a book called The Pleasure of the Text, also linked in the show notes. <laughs> but The Pleasure of the Text makes it very explicit that he's not necessarily just talking about text in as in words written in, in his case in French, but um, very much so we analyze things. We, we call the discipline close reading. And a lot of it is not just thinking about the literal words that are written, but what, why is it written this way? Not just what does it mean, which is something that's really, really hard to teach freshmen sometimes because um, I'll ask them, you know, give me a reading response on chapters one through six. And the inclination is to just write a book report of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, mm-hmm. and just do a summary. And it's like, I read the book. I know, I know the summary, you know, <laughs> and I'm not looking for that. What I'm looking for is what does it mean in a way that is like sort of not obvious necessarily. To, to use a comics reference, tell me what takes place between the panels. <laughs> well, that, you know, what takes place between the panels, but also, you know, very much a, there's, I'm always looking for why, like literally, what did you get out of this? Like, you know, why do we read in the first place? What did, what does this mean to you? Not mm-hmm. just like, yes. And then Romeo climbed up the balcony and kissed Juliet, which he does not do, by the way, there is that, that scene does not happen in the play. People just right. imagine it. There, I've always no kind balcony. of like, sorry, wondered, like I'd never really enjoyed novels as a teenager and junior high, high school, as I did as Get an adult. Show. Okay. I mean, it's oh, just like, adult, okay, fine. text is like <laughs> reading text is like an interaction. Like we've probably talked about before between your own experiences and your knowledge and yes. the information on the textbook. So if you don't have like that baseline information experiences to be able to relate to the characters, say, or the situation that's happening in the novel, then you're really not going to get as much out of it as. I don't know. Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, I think I have, I'm of two minds there. Right. And I, I'm, I'm actually curious what everybody else thinks here too. But I'll go first. I think that there are two possibilities when I read either I read something and I say, I love this book. It really spoke to me. This 
was exactly my life experience. And I knew, you know, I, I felt heard, I felt seen, you know, so like that happens sometimes when I read a book and, and I might love that. Right. I might love reading a book about, you know, someone writes a book about a poor black kid who grows up in Cleveland <laughs> and goes to college and, you know, like, Oh wow, this sings to me. You know, on the other hand, I lived that life, right. There is no way, shape or form where I really relate to hunger games, but I like that book, you know, like, you know, there, there, I mean, and there I mean, are things like, on yeah, the there are, there are things that I see of myself in it or, or, you know, that I, you know, I like, I, you know, I like lots of books that I don't necessarily see myself in, but sometimes it's just wanting to experience a new thing. To me, one of the big reasons for reading that sort of thing is to experience lives that aren't my own. Uh, The idea of reading builds empathy. So if I read a story about people who have a very different experience than mine, that's more fascinating than just reading about someone who's just like me. Yeah, but on on the other... (laughs) (laughs) but on the other hand like say like you're reading some novel about a relationship like a love relationship and you've never been you know you've never had a girlfriend or boyfriend what is love yeah i mean you're not going to be able to really like understand what's going on like well i mean you might not have had those feelings but it certainly i think it prepares you for that stuff i think you know it's you experience that stuff you know through, I, for myself, I experienced all that oh, stuff. Oh, Wayne, you're such a Smithian. I, it in oh, life. I just, I'm just throwing out all these 18th and 19th century jokes. Sorry. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, like, I, I maybe would say that I agree that, like, you can read things that um, are very different from your experience and, like, it's really great and that should be, like, a lot of reading because you should uh, learn things. You should learn things. Um, also, like, I get what Steph is saying because, like, maybe something more complex than that. Like, say you read, like, I don't know, The Prelude um, or Paradise Lost without, like, having knowledge of all the illusions, like, Wordsworth or um, Milton are talking about. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you can't enjoy those things or you can't, mm-hmm. especially, like, Paradise Lost, which has a plot and is not just some poet thinking, like, I'm a man and I have a brilliant mind. Um, you know, like if it's just like full of cultural references you don't get, then it's not as easy. And maybe you yeah. need to like read the Bible or something before, um, to like, to like totally get it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, sir, I just, I just gonna say, certainly, if, if you don't have the background in a lot of the stuff, there are gonna be references you don't get or cultural references you don't get. I, I, I really think there's, there's something about that building empathy with other people in other places than your, your experience. And, you know, I grew up in a holler, as was pointed out many, many times. Not a lot of traveling except in books. They took me everywhere. <laughs> Continue. And, 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 that, and that was really important. You know, it, it opened up a world to me that I just didn't have access to in my real life. And, you know, did I get all the references with that stuff? Probably not. Um, and, and as far as me being a Victorian, wait until you see my. You know, I think, I think that, like, hopefully. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I read, I, I read like a lot of books that um, come from a culture that is not my own. Um, and I do not expect those books to like talk down to me or, uh, you know, like change their voice. So I can explain like things that they understand to me. I, the burden is, you know, kind of yeah. on me to like learn things. And, you know, I think a great thing about books is, and other 
forms of entertainment like movies is it can introduce you to things that you do want to learn more about so if you know nothing about the bible yeah uh, which i do know a lot about because i grew up in uh, a christian home then like maybe you're interested in like learning specifically like what are the differences that milton like made whenever he changed genesis or you know whatever uh, into paradise lost and it's actually fairly interesting to see like how he plays with that Mm -hmm. there's always going to be things it's sort of intertextuality it's another thing that we talk about or assess about or at least some people do there are allusions that go from one text to another and sometimes you need them sometimes you don't i mean to, to look at paradise lost is certainly readable so maybe like without three, having read genesis it is. it's actually just kind of unreadable yeah. to me anyway yeah well but i mean but the point is you can i mean you literally can do the you know as Steph said the six-year-old seven-year-old thing where you're sounding out the words and you are perceiving a story from it you can comprehend stuff if you try hard enough i don't know that it's true for i mean like i don't know if you can do that with with, with ulysses but um but but um watchman same thing uh, you, yeah, can, you can yeah i was gonna say you can read watchman without knowing anything, anything about the charlton characters that they're based right. on however if you have a history with the bible you get more out of paradise mm-hmm. lost if you have a history i mean watchman is the only comic book on the times 100 most important novels list it's the only one mouse isn't even there so people really obviously see a you know a cultural relevance to that text that said 90% of people are not going to get out of Watchmen what Wayne or I do because part of really understanding Watchmen, in fact, a large part of understanding Watchmen is knowing about the question, mm-hmm. is knowing about mm-hmm. Captain Adam, is knowing about well, you know, it, on a deep level. It, yeah, if you don't know what's being deconstructed, right. then it, it doesn't work the same way. Knowing about how much more hates Ditko, really, I mean, like, which isn't even in a book, that's just, that's metatextual, right? Knowing stuff mm-hmm. about the ways in which the creator of Watchmen doesn't like the creator of the character of question that Rorschach yeah, is based yeah. on, like knowing their relationship informs my reading. I think, of the yeah, I think in a way that I yeah. can. So in defense of my original statement about mm-hmm. <laughs> relationships. No. So like, okay, let's take Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Like most kids like see love in a very different way than adults see love in quotes and relationships like teens are like filled with everyone knows hormones and emotions that a more rational older person doesn't have quite so much of so like they have very different interpretations say of like something like Romeo and Juliet Romeo and Juliet story of two horny teenagers exactly exactly but it's a love story to yeah to teenagers it was a love story to uh, for adults until like the 90s people just like literally it's relatively recently that people started teaching it realistically um so the kids that i teach in college now when we talk about it about half of them know that romeo and juliet is about horny teenagers and the other half will come in teaching saying oh no it's the greatest love story of all time because some high school teachers will say no this is a horrible tragedy of what happens when hormones are raging in a way that um that nobody said when well, I mean, when I was in yeah, school, when I was in school yeah, um, Amy, I, Amy, I assume you weren't taught nope. that. I, I should run <laughs> upstairs and go see because they teach it in freshman year. So both my girls have had yeah. it. And, but, but Hannah, I mean, you are younger. What did they say when you read it? 
in ninth grade? I don't remember. Actually, I remember two things about Romeo and Juliet. One, my teacher stepped out of the room during the movie and forgot to fast forward through the nudie. So we saw that. And one, and one student <laughs> was so upset he got homeschooled for a year after that. Two. Oh my god! Which, which version did you watch? Wow! Which which, which version did you watch? The Zaffirelli version. Really? That's uh, yeah. That's uh, the Two. nudity. Wait, what oh. was so traumatizing? Just uh, there's a boob in it. Nudity. Nudity. Really? Yeah. Wow. Two. Two. Uh, it was a very humiliating experience for me because our big group project was we were paired up, uh, boys and girls, and made to reenact the balcony scene in a different context, and we did. Just Jedi and Sith Lord. <laughs> that sounds really fun. <laughs> uh, it would have been, except everybody's mean in ninth grade, and they made uh, fun of me for being a Star Wars nerd. It's not nerdy uh, to like Star. I mean, it is, but it's like not nerdy to like Star Wars. Everybody likes Star Wars. Do I have to play the Incredible Hulk music for you too? I thought that's what that was. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the version where Romeo wins Juliet's heart by going off and killing a bunch of children. Right? <laughs> I mean, I guess we, I guess we basically uh, did uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, so I mean, to answer Steph's question, maybe. <laughs> I mean, okay, like, yeah, it's it I mean, ambiguous now. No, no well, I, I, but I think in a good way, right? Like, I think the answer is it can go either way, right? Like, I think that mm-hmm. I think that on some level, <laughs> again, well, okay. So I know Steph's not a huge comic book fan. I'm hope she, I'm blowing her cover, but no, you, you wouldn't say you're a huge comic book fan. But you enjoyed reading Watchmen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I like it. And I know, I assume, in fact, I'm pretty sure the first time you read it was like when we first started dating. Yeah, I think the next day. Really? I'm kidding. No, <laughs> you said that. I was like, really? <laughs> no, I, no, I'm, no, I, no. I, I think I actually think I know what happened because I, I believe the first time it was just like sitting on like a table and you you saw it one morning. You were like, "What's this?" And I was like, "You don't know what that is. Read that." And I'm talking to you to, to, again until you finish it. You know, <laughs> you know. But um, like I think like you certainly didn't have a lot of comic book experience when you read Watchmen the first time, mm-hmm. but you enjoyed it. And I, I think that I can. Uh, I, I think that my my enjoyment of it on a different level because I know these weird interpersonal histories that like there's no way most people who've read to name another to name a novel um, Cavalier and Clay. Most people who've read Cavalier and Clay don't know it's about Stan and Jack. <laughs> Stanley and Jack Kirby is what that book by Chapman is really about. But you don't have to know that in order to enjoy the book. But on the other hand, I, I, I know um, you know I'm, I'm not religious, but I have a very strong religious upbringing from my family, and I I remember taking a class um, during my master's, like a class on, on, um, on allegory. Allegory is very heavily based in Christian tradition often. And it was fine for me, but I had a classmate who really struggled for it because, you know, he was raised as an atheist. So Hmm. there'd be, we'd read, we, we would read, um, paradise lost or, we would read um, um, the Inferno, and he's like, "I don't know who these people are." You know, <laughs> like they're referring to things. And he just has, you know, and you can study up on it. And he did, and he was fine. He, he's, a, he's a smart guy. He, you know, he was a master student. He did the work, but not having that upbringing 
to refer to so that you know the stories of the apostles. You know who, I mean, he, like he knew who Jesus was in the abstract, right? But he doesn't know the story of like Judas betraying him. He doesn't mm-hmm. know who the horsemen of the apocalypse were. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know these things other than on a very tertiary level, because why would he ever have to? But they're things that you just sort of absorb in your life if you're raised in a Christian household, which is the context that that Milton is writing with when he writes Paradise Lost. He assumes that everybody reading it is a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, so I, given, given, given the audience he was aiming for. They were. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I guess we should point out that not everyone is writing for everyone. They're writing for a specific right. audience. Mm-hmm. Um, like Toni Morrison wrote for black women. And I can read her books, but she was not writing to me. Right. Toni Morrison, by the way, died, um, I guess, a week ago as we record this. And just as a story, just because I like mentioning it, um, Toni Morrison, I've met several times, but Toni Morrison was a friend of my grandmother's. Um, She's from my hometown. And um, I was an adult before I realized just how famous she really was, you know, until I was in college. It was like, oh, yeah, there's that local author lady, you know, <laughs> who writes books that well, who writes books that we all read because like, you know, she's from Lorraine. And so obviously she's a, you know, she's an author from Lorraine. So, of course, we're reading The Bluest Eye. And then I get to college and I realize, what, you read that book, too? Yeah, everybody read that book because she's like <laughs> one of the most famous authors ever. So it, it, so that was weird for me. But um, also rest just rest in peace, Tony Morrison. Very important author. All right. I just I just I don't even know how to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we should probably wrap this up. Resolve nothing. Well, and we've been going for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And and I I think that there's still stuff to talk about on this topic, so maybe we can revisit some of this. (laughs) I mean, obviously, all of us have, on one way or another, devoted our lives to reading um, as a job. In our case, directly, but I think most people do, right? Like, reading is something that you do in most jobs ever. Even if it's just like if you drive for a living, you still read signs, right? Like there's a, there's a lot of just reading that happens. So I think um, I think there's a lot to talk about. Reading is fundamental. Ooh, mm. look at that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should riff on that. For, for a transcript of this episode, right? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I really wish we, wish we could do transcripts. It would be great. Yeah. If there's someone out there that wants to. I don't know. I'm probably cutting this part out. <laughs> I might actually read an episode. (laughs) You'll zone out after 12 minutes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you for coming on the show, Amy. Thank you for having me again. Uh, It's always great to have you along. And, you know, it's it's weird, you know, you versus your daughter. And as I as I pointed out off the air last time, the first time she was on. And I mean, I guess she was only a year younger, but, you know, she didn't sound quite she sounds exactly like you to me now which is which was weird because i've known you for years and um, (laughs) and it's like wow she sounds and it was just weird for me so but thank you for coming on again and you know sharing your experiences i'm actually kind of surprised you did i was wondering if you actually would go get one of the kids and say what did they tell you when you read Romeo and Juliet? Because <laughs> I am curious. You have to I let will, me know. I will follow up on that for you. And thank you, Steph, for coming on as well. Okay, thank you again. It's always a pleasure. Um, someone who actually knows about the psychological version here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Jerome, Hannah, what about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. I will maybe be talking about how depressed I am about Spider-Man, or I might be too depressed to talk about Spider-Man. So, 50-50. <laughs> Wayne? I got nothing. I... <laughs> 
Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog, which I recently started updating again, or at least I did recently. And maybe I'll do it again without waiting a month at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast or on the blog at www.voxpopcast.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and I don't know where else. If you are a fan of the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us a five star review, type a little something, something It helps other people find the show and it gives me something to read, which is something that I want to do because I like reading. So and we just appreciate it. So please do that. And I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 My life has been immeasurably enhanced by my relationship with the written word. And I believe that if you can read in at least one language, it is the key to freedom.